to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. today and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are in a series that we are calling Inspire. And uh, anybody uh, feeling inspired today? Anybody, anybody feel inspired in worship today? I felt inspired in, in worship today. I hope you felt inspired. Um, and so the, the, what we're talking about is we're talking about Inspire. We're not just talking about kind of getting pumped up. We're not talking about just listening to your favorite hype song, Eye of the Tiger, or whatever it is that, that gets you going. That's not what we're talking about. It's what came to my mind. I'm sorry. That's not what we're talking about. We're actually talking about something much deeper than just outward hype in a moment, outward inspiration. We're actually talking about internal inspiration because the word inspire literally means to be in the spirit. And so if we want to live the life that God has called every one of us to, we believe there is no other way to live that other than living in the spirit or living inspired, filled with the spirit. And I shared with you as we started this series that uh, oftentimes when we hear the word spirit, we kind of think, oh, that's kind of like weird. That's kind of a, you know, a ghost sort of creepy thing. But I explained to you that the biblical word for spirit is simply the word breath or wind. And so we can understand the person and the work of the Holy Spirit simply by understanding the wind. And so the Holy Spirit is like God's presence, a fresh breeze, a fresh wind in our sails, just fresh inspiration. And so we believe that every single one of us, God wants us to live inspired. Can you say amen? Thank you. All right. And so today I want to just pick back up. I'm going to read this uh, intro verse. This is kind of the the key verse that's setting the course for this series. By the way, let me just mention this because I haven't mentioned it yet. Next Sunday is Easter. Come on. And, and I am inspired. I am excited about Easter. And, and I just want to encourage all of you to be thinking this week about who you can invite on Easter Sunday. And, uh, you know, it's always good to bring people to church, but Easter Sunday is just kind of one of those days where people who would maybe normally say, no, that's not really my thing, but on Easter Sunday, it's just an easy ask, okay? And so I want to encourage all of you uh, to think about who you can bring next Easter Sunday. We're going to fill this place up. Okay, all right, so I'm excited about that. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm just going to read this one verse, and we're going to springboard in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul says this, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren and sistren as well, I do not want you to be ignorant. Let me read that one more time. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Ignorant. We can go on and continue reading that, but I want to just focus on that thought. Concerning spiritual gifts or the things that the Spirit does, I don't want you to be ignorant, Paul says. I, I, I don't know about you, but there's, there's a lot of things that may come to my mind when, uh, if I was to finish that phrase, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be blank. There's a lot of ways you could finish that. You could say, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be excessive. 
Don't be excessive. Just kind of be chill, be cool, right? You could say that. You could say, now concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be weird. Don't be weird. Just be act normal. Keep it together, right? But that's not what Paul says, even as he is speaking to a church that perhaps had gone to excess and perhaps was being weird in the name of spiritual gifts, which actually wasn't spiritual gifts that was making them weird. But that's not what Paul says. Paul says, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant. How many of you know that ignorance has a cost? It's been said that ignorance is bliss, but I think we all can attest that ignorance has a cost. It is costly to be ignorant in all of life, but that is especially true when it comes to the things that are eternal, the things that are spiritual, the things that are beyond just the here and now. There is a cost to being ignorant. And uh, I, I, I have heard a story that I've shared with you many times that illustrates um, the, the cost of ignorance. And uh, it's, it's a story that happened in the early 20th century in Beaumont, Texas. Some of you have heard me share this story before, but it's the one I got, so I'm sharing it again, okay? Um, in, in the turn of the 20th century in Beaumont, Texas, there had been a, a recession, there had been uh, a, a drought, and there was a farmer there in Beaumont, Texas who had a huge amount of property, but with the drought, there was no food, there was no crops, and no crops, therefore, no money. And so he had done everything that he could do to try to uh, generate money, to try to produce some money, to just meet the needs of his family. And one day, he was just at the verge of subdividing his property and beginning to parcel it out, selling it out. It was He was going to just cash in all of his wealth or all of his assets just to try to put some food on the table. And on that particular day, uh, there was a, a couple of men that showed up and knocked on his door, and they introduced him, themselves to him that they were from an oil company. And they said, sir, uh, we believe that there is oil on your property. And, and they said, we would like to drill for oil on your property, and if we can find oil on your property, we will give you uh, we will give you royalties on every barrel of oil. And so this man with, with nothing to lose, really, and everything to gain, he said, go ahead and drill. And so they began to drill on his property. I think we have a picture of it. And after 10 days of drilling, they struck oil. And not only did they strike oil, they, str they struck oil big time and uh, actually uh, released a geyser of oil that shot 50 feet in the air and uh, ultimately, they found the largest producing oil reserve that had ever been found at that point. You know, people heard that story, and, and we can hear that story and think, you know, wow, that guy's problems were solved on that day. How many of you know if, they, if you're like trying to put food on the table, they find the largest oil reserve ever on your property, food is no longer a problem. Right? You know what I'm saying? Anybody seen the, uh, what's, what's the, Jed Clampett, what's he from? Beverly Hillbillies. Yes, he was, there, there they were, Beverly Hillbillies style, right? And we can hear that and we can think, wow, he, that, that day changed everything for him. He became rich on that day. And the fact is that he was rich, he was wealthy on that, on that day, but that was not the day that he became wealthy, 
You see, he was already wealthy, he just didn't know it. He already had huge resources available to him, but he was not able to release them. Why? Because of his ignorance. And there's a lot of people that live their life in that same way in so many areas of life, but especially when it comes to their spiritual life. There is so much that has been available to every one of us that is available to every one of us, but many of us, although we have rich uh, assets, spiritual assets available to us, so many of us live our lives just like every person out there. We live our lives, we are rich, but we live as if we are poor. Why? Because of ignorance. Oftentimes, you know, we say things, we, we hear even teaching on things like, you know, your, your sinfulness, which is true. The Bible presents that, that every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But some people stop at that place in the gospel. You're a sinner, you're a worm, you're wretched, and, and just stop right there. You're like, okay, that's good news. I'm not really sure why that's good news? Well, of course, it's good news because that's, that's not where Jesus has left us, that Jesus died and, and so that we could be forgiven of our sins, but not only so that we could be forgiven of our sins, but that we could also receive the wealth of God into our lives. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. How big are your requests? How big are your dreams? The Bible says that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond that. How? According to the power that works in us. The power that works where? In us. I want you to understand today that there is a divine deposit that has been placed within you. That when Jesus died, it wasn't just to forgive your sins, but he also put his grace on your life, in your life, for his purpose. The Bible says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. It says that we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through those promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature. I want you to just let that thought sink in for just a moment. What is your nature? Well, we all had a nature before we came to Christ, and we acted out of our nature. The things that we did, we did them because they were our nature. Anybody can relate to me that there's some things that you tried not to do, and you just kept doing them? Some things that you were trying to do, and you just couldn't do them? Why did you keep doing that? Because it was just your nature. But the Bible says this, that when we come to Christ, we have been given a new nature. We've been given the DNA of God, the Holy Spirit living within us. You have the wealth, the riches, the favor, the blessing, the potential of God living in you. That's worth that's worth getting excited about. Come on, let's do it again. Let's give the Lord praise. That's worth getting excited about. There's a divine deposit in your life. You may not feel like it. You may not even look like it. 
Other people may look at you and go, I'm not so sure about him, but let me tell you this, just like that field looked like a barren desert until what was in it was released, the Bible says that there is a nature, there is a deposit that has been put within you by the Holy Spirit. Colossians 1.27 says this, that it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of of glory. Wow, that ought to blow our minds that there is a, a deposit of heaven, a deposit of God. The, the scripture says it this way, the kingdom of God is within you, within you. How many of you know that on that day that they found oil in that field in Beaumont, Texas, it wasn't just a happy day for that man? How many of you know it was a happy day for everybody who lived in Beaumont, Texas? I know, I don't know if it's still happening, but I know there was an oil boom, I think, in like South Dakota recently, and there was people moving up there. There was hotels and, and, and economy and, you know, things that just began to develop businesses and all of these things that began to spring up in the middle of nowhere. Why? Because they found the deposit. And I want you to know that the deposit that is in your life through the presence of the Holy Spirit in you is not just about you. It is to bless you. That man, he didn't have a problem feeding his children anymore. It was a blessing to him, but it wasn't just to bless him. It was to bless the world around him. And the same is true for every single one of us. The, the divine deposit that God put in you when you came to Jesus Christ is not just about you, it's also about what God wants to do through you. I'm telling you, if we would get a hold of this, it would change Orlando. If we understood the, the divine nature of God that is not out there somewhere, it's in here, and God is waiting for us to discover it and deploy it. That's why I believe this. I believe that the church is the richest place on earth. The church of Jesus Christ is the richest place on earth. Why? Because we have the riches of heaven, the, the divine deposit, the power of God living within us. We are rich. We are wealthy. There is things that are in you that God is waiting to release through you in order to change the world around you. Just like an oil deposit in South Dakota or, or Beaumont, Texas impacts the world, God has put some things in you that he's wanting to release through you to become a blessing to the world around you. There is books that God has placed within you, some of you. There are businesses that God has put within you. There are inventions, ideas, creative solutions, there are business systems, there are, there, there are presentations, dramatic performances, there are dances within you, not within me, but within you, okay? There are teaching lessons that God has placed within some of you. There are paintings that God has put within some of you. There are films that God has put within some of you. There are schools and and things that, that 
God has placed within you that the Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for you. I'm wanting to stir you today with what God has put within you. There is a divine deposit waiting to be released. There's churches that God's put within some of you. There's ministries that God's put within some of you. There are songs, worship songs, melodies, all kinds of things that God has put within you. Why? Because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. You have a divine nature through the presence of the Holy Spirit living in you. Anybody excited about that today? Amen. Amen. All right, now, now I've preached that to you. Hopefully you're, you're excited about that. Uh, and now I actually want to teach you a little bit because we're talking about spiritual gifts. And Paul says that if you're going to experience the spiritual gifts that God has for you, you cannot be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And so I want to share with you today, I'm just going to introduce and, and go through a couple of specific spiritual gifts that I believe God has put within some of us that if we discover these gifts, it will impact, it'll change our lives and it will impact the world around us. And so in order to understand spiritual gifts, I want to give you today three what I would call gift clusters. These are three categories of gifting. Um, the Bible doesn't specifically refer to these, but it's helpful for us if we're going to understand spiritual gifts. And so we'll put these up on the screen. These are three gift clusters, and I'll introduce this today. The first is what I would say is the, the cluster of love. How many of you think that sounds pretty good? The cluster of love. Yeah. So it's like, that's what we call our connect group, the cluster of love. Okay. No, that's weird. Don't call it that. But, <laughs> but these are, this is just a group of, of gifts. And, and these gifts are things that reveal the love of God to the world. That reveals, wow, God is so loving. He's so good to us. Revealed through these, through these love gifts. Then there's also word gifts. Word gifts reveal the will of God through the word of God. These are things like leadership, like uh, apostolic gifting, prophetic gifting. We'll get into these even more, but they, they show us where to go. They reveal to us the word or the will of God through the word of God. And those are what we would call the word gifts. Then there is the power gifts. So the love gifts reveal the love of God, the word gifts reveal the will of God, and the power gifts reveal the power of God. How many of you know God is powerful? So how does he reveal his power to the world through power gifts? There are some gifts that, that, that just reveal how powerful God is, how great God is, how big God is. How many of you know you can tell somebody God is great? Then they may go, yeah. But how many of you know if somebody gets healed, if somebody, if there's a miracle that happens before their eyes, they go, okay, I, I'm with you, right? You, you know what I'm saying? Somebody, anybody know what I'm saying? Anybody? Okay, thank you. Okay, so there's the love gifts, the, the, uh, the word gifts, and the power gifts, okay? So I want to talk to you today about some of these love gifts that I believe are important. And so here's the gifts that would all fall under the category of love gifts. 
And the reason that I'm talking about these is because God has put some of these gifts within some of us. And, and, and if God is going to reveal his love in our church, in your home, in the world around us, he's going to do it through these love gifts. And so here's the five gifts that fall under the love gifts category. We'll put the next screen up. Here, It's gifts like administration, hospitality, helps, giving, and mercy. Okay, Those are the things that, that we would call love gifts. When we do those things, it just expresses the love of God to one another and to the world around us. Now, some of us hear those gifts, or maybe we hear other gifts and we think, well, that's, you know, there's some gifts that are spiritual and there's some that are not spiritual. Most of us probably, when you heard that we were doing a series on on spiritual gifts, you, you may have thought, oh, prophecy, healing, tongues, you know, those gifts. And we will get to those things later. But oftentimes we think that there are some that are spiritual and some that are not spiritual. And I just want you to know that the Bible knows nothing of a sacred, secular divide. The Bible says that, that God became flesh and he dwelt among us. He came in a human form. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us. The Bible says in the book of Revelation that God will make a new heavens and a new earth. Not just heavens, he also will make a new earth. And so there, the Bible knows nothing of this. Well, this is the spiritual stuff. And if you're spiritual, you do these things. And then we just kind of leave these things to like unspiritual people. Okay, the Bible doesn't know anything of that. Here's things that are profoundly spiritual. And I would say this, that go back to that last screen if we, would, if we could for just a moment. All three of these gift clusters need to be present in every local church. That means we need all of these gifts. Now here's, here's the, the thing that we often do in church. We go, oh... I'm a power gift person, so I'm going to go with all the power gift people. And we're just going to be powerful with the other power gift people, or I'm word person. I want to get deep in the word, and I can say that because that's me. I'm, I, I like that. I just want to be around other people, and we're just going to study. We're going to get deep. Any, you ever heard anybody say, well, I just want to get deep in the word, right? That's, they're talking about these, the, the word gifts. And then there's others that are in the love gift area. And all of these, I don't say any of that to demean any of them. I just say that we need all of them. There are some churches that they've got all the love gifts and everybody loves each other and they love the world around them. And they're serving people, they're serving the poor, they're serving the needy. All of those things are important, but, but nobody actually has any biblical reason why that's important because they don't have any word gifts. Or, they're, or, or they are doing it all in their own strength because they lack the power gifts. Then there's some that are all in the power gifts and they're all operating in the gifts, but, but there is no biblical understanding of why those gifts matter, right? And then there's some that are just in the word gifts and everybody's studying Greek and Hebrew and they understand all of the scripture. Or maybe they've got, they're high on leadership and vision and all of that. 
But there is, I mean, if the Holy Spirit came into the room, there is no sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they lack the power gifts. And so we need the love, the word, and the power gifts. And some of you will have some of these gifts that I'm going to talk about today. And so I want to talk about three of the love gifts today. And I I believe that God is going to stir this up in some of us. And uh, so try not to fall asleep because this may be a little detailed. And here's what I also want you to know. If I don't talk about your gift, uh, I'll get to it, okay? And so just stay with me. So here's, first of all, I want to talk about the gift of administration. Got a little whoop for administration, okay. (laughs) The gift of administration. Now, Again, this, this is one of the things that oftentimes when we hear about this, we think, ah, oh, that's just kind of somebody has a skill in that. And there are people that just have natural skill, but there are, all, there are also people that administration is a spiritual gift to them. That, that when they are functioning in their gift, it just releases the power of God the, the, the work of God to advance. And so here's a, a definition of, um, of the administrative gift or the gift of administration. It is the God-given ability to develop plans and goals and to mobilize people toward an overarching vision. It's the, notice the words, God-given ability to develop plans and goals and to mobilize people toward an overarching arching vision. If you're a person that you go into a group and you ask the question, what's the plan? You may have the gift of administration, okay? The gift of administration brings chaos and brings it into order, all right? It it does not give us the vision. That is a leadership gift that tells us where we are going. Administration is not that. It does not tell us the where, but it does tell us the how. The original uh, word in the scripture for administration or for the gift of administration is the word steerman. And that was a person on a ship who served under the admiral of the ship. And the admiral would determine the direction of the ship, but the, the steerman or the person who was the the administrator would determine how they would get to that place. And the same is true in our spiritual life, that God gives the gift of leadership and vision to determine where we are going, but then he also needs to give us, or he has given us, the gift of administration to tell us how. Have you ever been in a group of people and they're just fired up about, man, we're going to change the world, we're going to do this? And they're just fired up about it. And then you say, so how are you going to do that? They're like, we don't know. We're just going to do it. And some of you that have the gift of administration, you're like, no, this is a wreck. This is not going to happen, right? You're like, why is that? Because you have the gift of administration. If you have the gift of administration, it's going to be demonstrated through effortless skill for organizing tasks and people. You love to streamline processes and clarify steps to accomplish complex tasks. Anybody like that? I mean, if that is you, like you you love like charts and sticky notes and, you know, all of the organizational stuff. If that's you, like when, when you are working with like your schedule, it's like the Holy Spirit just walks into the room. 
You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like that. Some of you are like that, that that is just this spiritual gift that God has given to you. And then there's others of us that we're like, here's the vision, here's where we're going. And then somebody asks how, and you're like, don't ask that question. I don't know how, we're just going there. But it's the gift of administration that will give us the how and, and the steps to get there. And so we need, in the body of Christ and also beyond, God wants to release the gift of administration. Think with me about, um, in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph that, that became second in command in the nation of Egypt. Pharaoh put everything under his control, and he was administrating the whole nation. What was that? That was a gift of administration that, that raised him up, that made room for him in that place where he was taken as a slave. He became second in command. How? Through the gift of administration. We see it in Acts chapter 6, shortly after the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, the first church fight in Acts chapter 6. There was a group of widows that weren't being fed. They didn't have their needs met. And they came to the apostles and, and they said, hey, we're not being fed. We're not being taken care of. And the apostles responded and they said, it's not good for us to leave the prayer and the ministry of the word. Now we can hear that and we can go, that's kind of like haughty. That's kind of arrogant. But how many of you know that when you are leading something, you, you cannot become the solution to every problem that comes up, right? Business owners, how many of you know one good way for you to stop the progress of your business is to do everything yourself, right? And so they said, they said, seek out from among yourselves people that are that are filled with faith, filled with the Spirit, and capable of doing these things. And so they formed a team. It was what we would call a, a deacon team. They formed this team to get the job done. And the Bible goes on and says that the church grew and had favor with all the people. What caused the church to grow? It wasn't better preaching. It wasn't a prayer meeting in that instance. It wasn't you know, any of those things, it was just that they got the gift of administration to function in the church. And so we need the gift of administration. Now, with every gift, there is also a danger that comes along with that gift. And so for those that have the gift of administration, here's the danger is that you can lose sight of the overall vision. You can become myoptic in your vision and lose sight of the ultimate direction. You can become Overcommitted to the plans. You can put the plans on a pedestal rather than following what God is telling you to do. And so you become committed to the plans. This is a danger if you have the gift of administration. You can be stuck with the plans rather than following where God is leading. And then sometimes if the leader is leading different than where your plans are, tell you to go, you can end up trying to take power. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? That's the gift of administration. It's a wonderful gift, but every gift has a danger. And so if you have the gift of administration, you need to watch out for those dangers. Also, if you have the gift of administration, just because you have the gift doesn't mean that you just, that's all there is. Just like oil has to be pumped out from the ground your gift needs to be developed. And so if you want to develop the gift of administration, first of all, you need to submit to God 
Recognize it's not just your gift, it's not just your ability, but it's God's gift to you and through you. And so you need to submit that gift to God. Then practically, you need to just seek opportunities to manage projects. If you have the gift of administration, you need to seek opportunities to use it. At work, when there's opportunities to manage a project, just say, I'll take it. I'll take it. If there's things at church, there's events, there's, there's um, practical things that need to be done, and maybe you see those things and other people don't see those things. It looks like chaos to you, and everybody else is like, woo, this is awesome, because you have the gift of administration. That means that you need to say, I'll take that. I'll bring order to it, and then you need to get good at, at giving people feedback. If you are guiding people, you have to get good at giving constructive criticism to keep people on, on task, all right? And so those are things that are all a part of the gift of administration. Now, you may hear this and you may say, well, whoo, that's not my gift. I don't have to worry about it. I think I just flicked sweat at Jared. That's not my gift. I don't have to worry about it. But here's what I want you to know is that what you do not do out of gifting, you are called to do out of discipline. And so just because you don't have the gift of administration doesn't mean that it is an excuse to just live in total chaos, right? And so every single one of us has been called to honor God through our stewardship of time and resources and to learn from people that have administrative gifting. So some of you here have the gift of administration. Some of you here, you're like, yes, you know, Gantt charts, organizational charts, schedules, like when all of that's laid out, the power of God is flowing through me. Anybody, you're here, you, you're like that? You love administrative things? Yes, some of you, everybody look around right now. Wonderful people, we love you. Beautiful people, we love you. I'll just, I'll just uh, put somebody on the spot for a moment. Tony Short back here. Tony, would you wave at everybody? She may not realize it. Actually, she does. She just raised her hand. I think she has the gift of administration. Let me tell you why. She's joined our venue team, and we were always getting by on the venue team. It was just kind of like show up and blow up. That was our strategy to, <laughs> to set up. And, and Tony joined the venue team, and she's, she's like, okay, here's the schedule. Here's the process. Here's, I'm not kidding. She just self-appointed, created schematics, and here's where the signs go. Here's an overhead bird's eye view of where things need to go. And I'm saying, thank you, God. It is the gift of administration. And we need the gift. The gift of administration. And so God, don't, listen to this. Don't look down on that gift like that's unspiritual. Recognize that is so spiritual. It's so needed. And so uh, we need the gift of administration. The world needs the gift of administration. Second thing I want you to see is the gift of hospitality. The gift of hospitality. Now, if administration says, what's the plan? Hospitality says, welcome in. Welcome home. Come to my party, right? That's what the gift of hospitality says. In, in, uh, here's the definition of hospitality. It is the God-given ability to provide an open house 
and warm welcome to outsiders, not just to your family, but to outsiders, and to make people feel at home. Now, in the church, the gift of hospitality is what makes the church feel like family. Have you ever been into a church and like everything was like put in process really well? They got the gift of administration going really well, but you went in and you went out and nobody even talked to you. Why? Because they got the gift of administration, but they're lacking hospitality. Hospitality is always looking for outsiders and welcoming them in. The gift of hospitality is shown if you have the desire to have people in your home and you're happy when people are eating. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes? That is, and you, you love to prepare food and drink. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up? I just want to personally look at who these people are because my gift matches your gift. I've got the gift of eating, so I'm going to match with your gift of hospitality, okay? But it's not just about food. It's not just about drink. It's about welcoming people in. If you have the gift of hospitality, when someone walks into the room, if no one greets them, it's like a siren is going off over their head. You know, outsider, bring them in, right? That's what the gift of hospitality does. I'm that way. If somebody walks in, I'm like, I got to meet that person. Now, I've actually had to get better at not doing that in church because I actually want some of you guys to step in and not go, oh, that's the pastor's job. He's the one that goes and greets people. And you guys are are great at that. I, I hear again and again from other people when they come to the church, they say, man, it just felt like family. Why is that? It's the gift of hospitality. You're always looking at people who are outside and bringing them in. Now, the danger of that gift, it's a wonderful gift, but the danger of it is that you can become cliquish. If you have the gift of hospitality and it's you're in an unhealthy place, rather than using that gift to provide an atmosphere where other people can come in, use that atmosphere to provide a place where your little family, your little group, your little clique of friends is hanging out and we're hanging out all the time. Y'all want to come over to my house again tonight, today, tomorrow, third time this week? Okay, come on over again and outsiders, stranger danger, right? That's the, that's, the, that's the unhealthy expression of the gift of hospitality. Also, if you're in an unhealthy place with the gift of hospitality, you will become tempted to impress people rather than serve people. And so the spread of food, if you're in an unhealthy place or whatever it is, it's, it's not about how can I bless people, it's am I impressing you with my presentation, Right? And so that's the danger. Now, the development here, if you want to develop the gift of hospitality, everybody still with me? Good. Okay. You're awesome. Great. Um, Here, if you want to develop the, the, the gift of hospitality, I think one thing you can do is just start to see hospitality as an expression of the gospel. I mean, what a beautiful way to share the gospel with people, that every time you open the door to welcome somebody, whether you're a greeter at a church on a Sunday, whether it's in your home, in a connect group, or, or, or just having some friends and neighbors, every time you open the door, you need to think, God has opened the door for me, so I'm going to open the door for other people. You are sharing the gospel just by welcoming people into your home or into your life. You need to look for new faces on a Sunday 
You should look for people that nobody else is talking to if you've got the gift of hospitality and you should, uh, you should look for them and bring them into your conversation. Bring them in. Say, you want to sit with me? Let's go to lunch together. Let's hang out together. It's the gift of hospitality. Let me tell you this. People are longing for home. There is a longing in people's hearts just to be with people where they can just be themselves. It's the cheers theme. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. The gift of hospitality creates that atmosphere, not just in church, but outside of church. If you have the gift of hospitality, make yourself the self-appointed party starter in the neighborhood. When there is events like Easter next week, just say, hey, come to my house. Everybody come to my house. Speaking of which, Rachel, back here, Rachel, would you just give everybody a wave? In fact, stand up so that they can see you. Sorry to put you on the spot. Everybody give Rachel a wave. Rachel, give everybody a wave. Rachel's opening her house next Sunday, Easter after church. If you don't have a place to go, Rachel just emailed me. She's like, I just want to have people in, your home, in my home. She didn't say in your home. We want to come to your house. She said in my home. It's the gift of hospitality. There's others. Jonah in our Alpha course, Jonah made food twice for like 70 people. And that's an amazing gift of hospitality. So do it in your neighborhood. Invite neighbors over. Do it at work. Who's to say you could not become the self-appointed like host at work? Like, maybe it's not been given to you, but if you have the gift of hospitality, how much better would it make your, your office if you just, like, said, I'm just going to bring, you know, banana bread every time there's a, a meeting? How many of you know you, job security right there, you know what I'm saying? They will never fire the banana bread guy, okay? <laughs> just make it, if there's a new person that comes in, just make it your responsibility. Say, hey, let me just show you around. Here's where the bathrooms are. Here's how things work. And uh, who wouldn't like to be around a person like that, right? We all would. That's the gift of hospitality. And we need that in the church. It makes church feel like home when there's people at the door that are, that are greeting people, our connections team that follows up with people, our hospitality team that makes coffee and just creates that welcome home environment, that family environment. It's the gift of hospitality. And lastly today, the, the last gift I want to talk about is the gift of helps. The gift of helps. Now, the gift of helps is like the Swiss army knife of spiritual gifts. Okay, it's like the gift that has whatever you need, it has, right? And, and, or whatever you can offer. It's all about meeting needs. The gift of helps is all about meeting needs. And so the definition is a God-given passion to use talents and abilities to accomplish practical tasks in order to free others for broader ministry. Now, let me say this. With all of the gifts, all of the gifts are equal in value, but not all of the gifts are equal in function. The love gifts are actually what... I would call second chair gifts. They are supportive gifts that can allow the broader ministry of the church to happen. And, and again, let me emphasize, that doesn't mean they're lesser gifts. It just means that they, are, that, that they assist and they support the, the broader ministry of the church, okay? And, and so the gift of helps is just the gift that, 
that wants to help meet needs, to support the broader ministry of the church. I'll never forget the first time that Daniel Santiago came to church, and he said, I just love to plug things in. And I was like, thank you, Jesus, because we need some things plugged in, and I don't know how to plug things in. So it's the, he has the gift of help. So the gift of helps will actually, like I said, it's a Swiss Army knife that it allows you to use whatever skills you have to help other people. So maybe you have culinary skill, but it functions through the gift of helps. Maybe you've got creative skill. Maybe you're great at photography, videography. Maybe you're great at music. Maybe you, 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 you have the gift, or the, not the gift, the fruit of patience in your life, and, and you love helping with children. That's the gift of helps. And so here's how you know if you have the gift of helps. You dislike being idle. You hate sitting when other people are working. Anybody, you're like that? You're like, it, I, I just hate it when people sit, when other people are working. Some of you are like that. That may be the gift of helps. Some of us, we're, we like, we're out talking in the, in, in the lobby after service, and we just love connecting and caring for people. And then there's other people that are like, you know, I just want to be doing something. I can't be standing out there talking when there's work to be done. What is that? It's the gift of help. So you dislike being idle. You're often prepared to help. You're the guy that has the toolbox in his truck, okay? You're the girl that has the big old purse because you're always prepared for whatever need may arise, right? You've got backup microphone. I got it in the purse. Tire jack, got it. And whatever you need, you've got it. You love being prepared. Why? Because you want to help. You love helping out in practical ways. You're uncomfortable with public attention. You like to be behind the scenes making it happen, but you're not comfortable being in front of people, perhaps. And you, you often meet needs without being asked. You just see something and you just do it. You jump into it. That's the demonstration. Now the danger, here's the danger of the gift of helps. If you have the gift of helps, remember it is a God-given passion. That means that if it's God-given, it has to be God-sustained. So you cannot just serve in your own power. The danger of the gift of helps is that you will keep working, but you disconnect from the power, and you will wear yourself out. In order to operate in God's power, you've got to stay connected to God's power. That's the, that was the Martha mentality, right? Do you remember the story of Martha? Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. She's just looking at him, and, and Martha comes in and goes, Jesus, would you tell her to get up and get to work? And Jesus says, uh, Martha... Mary's actually chosen the better thing, to sit at my feet. Why? Because that was the moment that Jesus was there. Perhaps 15 minutes earlier, uh, Jesus would have said to Mary, Mary, get up and help your sister, right? Because it wasn't that Martha was wrong. It was that she had disconnected from the source of power. And if you have the gift of helps, it's important to spend time with God so that you have a reservoir of power to give out of. Don't fall into the thinking, well, I'm a practical person, so I do the setup, or I, do, I, I just do this practical stuff. Prayer meeting is for the spiritual people, all right? That is not true. 
If you are a practical person, you want to meet needs, that is so important, but you've got to stay connected to the power. You've got to spend time in the presence of God. And so the danger is that you can lose the power and then you become resentful of others by not serving as actively as you do. Anybody ever been there? Yes, okay. So here's the development. Just maintain connection with the Holy Spirit for ongoing power. Spend time with God. Pray. Make sure there's time that you're in the Word so that you have that source of power to minister out of. Then also master your craft. You know, one danger of having the gift of helps is that you can become the the, the jack of all trades, the master of none, right? But the Bible says whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart. And so one thing that you can do is just develop a skill so that you're able to be more effective in that skill. And um, if you don't have the gift of helps, here's the discipline. Again, if it, what you do not do out of gifting, spiritual gifting, we're all called to do out of spiritual discipline. And so if you don't have the gift of helps, you are still called to practice servanthood by meeting practical needs of others. You may say, well, I, that's not my gift. I'm a, I'm a musician or that's not my gift. I'm a, I'm a leader, or that's not my gift to help in those practical ways. But for all of us, we're all called to develop the character of servanthood, right? And so every one of us, no one is beyond serving. Amen? And this morning, I just saw a great picture of that. My brother, Jarrett, who probably has the gift of leadership, um, he was here this morning on the venue team, Helping, serving, getting things done, not because it's necessarily his spiritual gift, but just because there was a need for it to happen, and it's his birthday. What is it? It's the, that's the discipline, and he has three children, and he owns a business, yada, yada, okay? What is that? That's the discipline of serving every single one of us even if you don't have the dis- or the gift of helps everybody is called to help amen 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 in, in closing i just want to share this today of course is palm sunday i know some of you are hearing this and you go where's the palm sunday message where's the, this is palm sunday where's the triumphal entry message here this actually is a palm sunday message Have you ever thought about, we all celebrate, wow, Jesus came, he rode in on a donkey. Have you ever thought about the people behind the scenes that made it happen? Have you ever thought about that? In the the Bible, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples to go into the village. He says, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Worship team, or Kendall, you can come back up. Have you ever, have you ever thought about who was the guy with the colt? Who's the guy with the donkey? Have you ever thought about that? Here's Jesus riding in. Across the world today, people are celebrating Palm Sunday. But have you ever stopped to think about who was the guy that gave the donkey? We don't know anything about him other than we know that he had a donkey and he was prepared. 
right? I, I don't think I'm stretching it to say perhaps he had the gift of helps. Perhaps he was the guy that maybe if Jesus had said he needed a, a stick, he also had a stick. Maybe if Jesus said he needed a cow, he would have had a cow. I don't know. But maybe he just had, maybe he was a guy. Maybe he wouldn't, wouldn't have been the guy that would have led the prayer meeting. Maybe he wouldn't have been the guy that would have led the worship parade, but he's just the guy behind the scenes who has a donkey, who has a cult, and who's willing to give to God what he has. The story goes on when Jesus goes into Jerusalem. The final day prior to his crucifixion, he's eating what we now call the Last Supper. He says to his disciples, he says, I've longed to eat this with you. I've, I've been looking forward to sitting and eating this with you. He tells two of his disciples to go in to the city and he says, you'll find a guy with a pitcher of water. And he says, follow that guy. He's got a guest room, an upper room that's a guest room, and we're going to eat with him. We don't know anything else about him other than he was a guy with a pitcher of water. Maybe he just happened to be ready with a pitcher of water for whoever came and needed a place to stay. Why? Because he had the gift of hospitality. Have you ever thought about who were the people behind the scenes? They weren't leading the parade. They weren't in the spotlight. They were the unsung heroes. I want you to know that every time God does something, Behind every move of God, there is an army of unsung heroes. There's a, a group of people, they may not be the people that others would look at and go, oh, they're so spiritual, but they're the people that would just be faithful. They're the people that when they hear the cry, the call of God, the Lord has need of it. They just say, God, here, whatever it is, whatever I have, it's all yours. I don't know this. But perhaps there was a person with a gift of administration. Maybe there was an, an administrator behind the parade as Jesus rode the donkey in. And she's just standing back there with a clipboard, with a schedule and a checklist. She's going, who's got the palms? Okay, you brought, got the palms. Okay, what's the schedule? What time is it? Maybe there was. We do know this, that the timing that Jesus came into the city was at a specific time, at a specific place, to fulfill prophecy. And maybe it was because there was a person with the gift of administration that was going, Jesus, this is where you need to be. This is what needs to happen. I want to tell you, never underestimate the gift that God has put within you. Never look at anything you have as less spiritual. Perhaps you're not the person that may stand in front. Perhaps you're not the person that may give an exposition of scripture, but, but behind every move of God, there's an army of faithful people that hear the call of God. The Lord has need of it. They say, God, it's my pleasure. It's my joy. Amen. Would you stand to your feet for just a moment?